Hello, I'm Megan Sally, journalist at Bruce News. During Good Deal Week, the Cryo Malt Trade Hub hosted a number of important panel discussions, including this one for the Ping Food Society entitled Know Your Worth. Thanks to Cokestar, we were able to record and share these valuable sessions. I had the privilege of interviewing five incredible women, during which they shared their experiences and what they have learnt. While curated by women for women, the advice given and experiences shared by the panellists is relevant to the entire industry. I hope you find the conversation inclusive, instructive, and of course, fun. Please enjoy. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Ali McDonald and I am the current president of Pink Boots Australia. So Pink Boots is a not-for-profit and we are our membership is open to any woman who earns any part of her income from beer. And our ethos is really about empowering through education. And that education takes various forms of social events, brew days, scholarships and panel discussions like today. Thank you so much for Cryer for hosting us today. So it is my great honour to introduce um, our host for today, Megan. So Megan um, has had a very varied career since she got her Masters of Publishing Communications at the um, University of Melbourne. So Megan's career has included um, a range of roles. She has interned, volunteered, done marketing, sponsorship, fundraising and events and is currently a freelance writer and is a writer for Australian Brews News. So I can think of no one better to guide us through our discussion today about Know Your Worth. Hi, hi everyone. Uh, welcome. So we've got five wonderful ladies today. Um, the first of which I'll introduce is Nicolette, who's sitting next to me. So Nicolette is um, the Victorian sales manager for Sydney's Filter Brewing. Now, forgive me if all of this is very... Um, if you know what I'm... A, you know a lot more than I do, but I'm just going to be very explanatory about everybody. So, so a long-time beer lover, she has been working in the beer industry um, in sales for eight years. She's a certified Cicerone and has completed her IBD graduate certificate. Um, she's also done a short course in malting and brewing at the University of Ballarat. Next up here, we've got um, Kelly, who's come all the way from the US. Uh, Kelly, now, we've got two Kellys, and both have American accents, so that's <laughs> going to be really, really fun. So we've got Kelly here. So she is the head biologist and quality assurance lab manager for US-based um, New Belgium. Um, Kelly launched her career as a sampling technician on the graveyard shift at fellow US-based Cause Brewing Co. Um, Kelly has also been an active member of the American Society of Brewing Chemists and served on the board from 2012 to 2018. So thanks for being here. Uh, ne next face you will all know, um, um, Kira Lee. So Kira Lee has spent nearly 20 years working in the beer industry. She is the co-editor of the Beer Lover's Guide to Victoria and Queensland and co-owner of Nightingale Events. Kiralee is the beer ambassador for Dan Murphy's and is also a beer judge. Um, her company, Beer Diva, hosts events for the beer community. Uh, next is um, Jane. Um, now, we're very happy to have Jane because Jane does not work in beer but can speak to a hell of a lot of what, we, what we're going to talk about today, really. So Jane is the National Marketing Projects Lead for General Motors Holden, uh, and she has been working within the automotive sector for 18 years. Uh, working primarily in marketing, Jane has also held roles in sales, supply chain, and customer experience. And finally, uh, we've got the second Kelly, Kelly Lorimeyer. And Kelly uh, is the Pacific Regional Sales Manager for Yakima Chief Hop Union. Uh, and Kelly works to connect farmers, brewers, helping both parties to navigate hop contracts and providing them with her specialist skills. So thanks for being here as well. We will get into our first question. So there's five questions today. We'll kind of talk through them a little bit. And then at the end of the panel, we'll open it up to the audience. Um, but we do have a tight schedule. So we're going to try and keep it neat. All right. So the first one, um, what we wanted to talk about today was, if you'll excuse me. So... Um, what has it been like to excel in an industry that is dominated by men? Bit weighted to start off with. <laughs> Hi, everyone. <laughs> um, I'll go. Um, I, I was just a kid when I started at Coors. I was fresh out of college. I was 22 years old, working on the graveyard shift. Um, not knowing what to expect, working at um, a large factory. Um, so anything that I felt, any pressure that I had on myself w was brought on by myself. Um, 
Coors and then New Belgium has actually been surprisingly supportive. Um, I have had, uh, gender bias is there, and I know that we will all talk about that at some point in time. Um, and it's a bit uh, subtle sometimes, and sometimes it is just in your face. And throughout my 26-year career, I have actually been super lucky that nothing egregious has happened. Um, I, the men that I have worked with or the industry that I have been in this entire time has been surprisingly collaborative and supportive. Um, I think that the most egregious things that have happened have actually happened outside of my industry. I have, I, I was early on in my career and I was out at a bar with a friend from Coors who was a chemist and we were talking up these, these young men and they of course got to, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a microbiologist at Coors. And they moved to my friend and I said, well, what do you do? And she said, well, I'm a chemist at Coors. And we chatted them up for the rest of the evening and nothing happened. And about two months later, a friend from grad school um, asked me the strangest question. And she said, were you down in downtown Denver drinking beer like two months ago? And I didn't know where this was going. And she happened to be at a party where these two young men were relaying a story about meeting these girls um, out drinking and that they had to lie about their careers to impress them. <laughs> and first I was, I was like, well, thank God you were there to like set them straight because she said, was the microbiologist, did she have long brown hair and glasses? And they like, big eyes, they said, yes, why do you know her? And she said, yeah, I'm in grad school with her. Like she's not lying, it's real. So I immediately, as a young woman thought, who the hell are you to think that I need to lie to impress you? But then the next thing I thought was, why in the world could they not believe that a woman could be a scientist in the industry? So, like I said, I've been super lucky and weird things have happened, but I've had an amazing, exciting, challenging career and I wouldn't change it for anything. Thank you, that was a great story. <laughs> um, what about yourself, Jane? Uh, so the automotive perspective, a little bit of a different one. Um, it's been exactly the same as Kelly, so straight out of university. Um, and I'd say working in a marketing fraternity has probably got a little bit more balanced than some of the other areas of an organisation that's manufacturing based. Um, I can still remember my first week in the business where I walked into a, a canteen of about 500 people having lunch and they all look up from their table and they're all men. And it was that, that first moment that I had a realisation that that, that was representative at that time, what the industry was basically, you know, it, that was the balance. Um, we were very, very much outnumbered. And I guess, you know, back to the question about excelling in a, you know, what's it like to excel in a male-dominated industry? It's bloody awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll say that it's been an absolute wild ride and one that I'm really proud to have taken because over that time I've actually seen change and I'm seeing more and more females exceed. Um, you know, proud to report that General Motors is, is run by a female. So our CEO, Mary Barra, um, is leading our organisation and we've just appointed our first um, global CFO, who's a female as well. So these things are, are firsts for General Motors, but it's so exciting to, to be in an organisation that over time I've seen um, that change. And as I say, yes, so I've definitely got a, a few stories um, like Kelly where you, you might be sort of overlooked um, or not understood for, for what you are and, and the role. I did a training course once and it was 35 blokes and me. So I ended up almost being like their little sister. So we studied together for about two years. It was a two-year course. And by the end of it, you know, best mates. But we got to graduation evening and a photographer was lining up all of these suits and I said, oh, where would you like me to stand? And he said, oh, just over there, madam. And I said, oh, sorry, sorry, no. Where would you like me to stand? He's like, yep, yep, just over there with the other wives. And I was, like, I was like, sorry. I was like, I'm actually a graduate as well. And so, you know, I know that we, we ooh and we, we are at this. But sometimes we can actually use that, I guess, my message is to our advantage. So sometimes you're underestimated. And so the bar for you is set really low. So it's kind of like to exceed and to surprise and delight and excel, 
Like, what an opportunity. So sometimes I think it's kind of looking the glass half full rather than the glass half empty when you find yourself in those scenarios. So I must say, I took pride of place in a red dress amongst all the black suits right in the middle of that photo. So, um, you know, graduating along with everyone else. So I think, yes, it's a, it's a great thing to be um, a female in a, in a male-dominated industry. Thank you so much. That was great. Um, I might not... We might kind of move through the questions and then kind of everyone will just kind of keep talking if that's cool with you guys. But so the next one is all very similar. So um, the next one is, is really, um, maybe we'll go start off with you, Kira Lee. But um, so we often hear that women um, have trouble speaking about themselves. And um, knowing that your next career step could be that one conversation away, how do you best talk about yourself professionally? Yeah, look, um, I think that's a really interesting one. And, you know, just going on what um, Jane and Kelly were saying, um, being taken seriously in the industry is something that I think we have to work harder for. Um, people still, I, I still have um, brewers coming up to me and asking me whether I, you know, am managing to make a career out of what I'm doing. You know, are you actually paying your bills? It's like, yeah, you can do it. <laughs> There's this kind of bafflement and bewilderment. Um, but in terms of, I guess, talking about yourself professionally, I think one of the best things that you can do is actually write your own bio. Um, everyone should have one. And just by actually starting to write down all the things that you've done, you realise, wow, I've actually done quite a lot here. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm quite impressive. Um, and, you know, by having all of that, I guess, as, a, as your... Um, You've got that already cemented in your head. When people do ask you those questions of what are you doing, um, where do you want to go, etc., you've, you've kind of already built your own picture of who you are and then, you know, that can also highlight uh, where you want to go as well. But um, I think the, the flip side of that, when you're talking about yourself professionally, you will often get asked, um, what's it like being a female working in the beer industry? Or, so I always try to move past that really quickly. Because, you know, you can, I just think you can get so caught up and everyone gets really caught up in this whole idea that you're a female in a male-dominated industry, that that's all they want to talk about. And I think you've got to really push past that and, you know, really present yourself and your value and your worth to the industry. I'd encourage everyone to, I guess, sort of seek out um, other women as well. So I moved here five years ago, didn't know anyone in the industry and I found Pink Boots really valuable um, I guess just for, for getting to know other people and, you know, having having sort of a support network to be able to talk about some of these issues. Um, and even if you're not a member of Pink Boots, which of course I, I suggest you do, you know, seek out seek out other women, you know, seek out men as well, sort of to look for mentors or, um, you know, if you're, you're a little bit more senior, you know, seek out people that you can have as a mentee, I guess. I don't think it's the word, protege. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, you know, try and try and get a network. Um, you know, we, it's an awesome industry. Most people are really awesome in it. Um, you know, we're we're really fortunate. There's a lot of social events and stuff like that. So I guess you know, compared to potentially some other male-dominated industries, you know, we've already got this sort of this big network of people. So use that. And um, yourself, Kelly. Um, I'm gonna also echo a lot of what these ladies are saying. Uh, I've been in the beer industry like proper uh, as a sales rep and then now with uh, a hop company for about 10 years. And um, I think people are, men are curious about us. They want to like know like what it's like to be a woman. Um, and I think if you're just like, not, not just like be a woman, yeah, not like be a woman, <laughs> but I mean, they're curious. Like, so whenever I started as a rep, I worked with a lot of ABI houses um, and I would go to their sales meetings and I would, I would present to them. And I mean, it's like seriously all men. And they're kind of like looking at me, they're like in very rural, some of them, um, areas that I was in. And so I would go on ride-alongs with them and they would just be curious about like, how did I get started? Like, how, where did I come from? Um, why do I want to be here? And um, they were, there was never anyone mean to me. I've never really had anyone that's been like, oh, you're a girl. I think I grew up with four boy, like brothers. So I have a pretty male-dominated background <laughs> um, in my own household, but... Um, I think just being like very open in who you are. I mean, we're all just people, and uh, we can all get somewhere. And I think having your um, all the accolades that you've been able to do, like right there, in order to speak about yourself in a good way, um, seeking people that can be your mentors. I mean, all these things are are really great. So um, I think just being out there and being honest with yourself and just getting. I always um, wanted to grow, and I was always looking for new opportunity. And I think if you're not doing that, then you're doing it wrong. 
Um, and I think any person should be doing that, so. I might mix it up a bit with, in my order of questioning here because um, one of the things that we did want to discuss today was how do you talk to younger women who are coming up in an industry? So um, I suppose the question is, you know, how do you communicate with younger women entering your industry and how do you encourage them to know their worth? I mean, know their worth is the title of the, of the panel today and I think, you know, as a younger woman, I've, older women in the industry have been invaluable. So, I mean, um, what, should we start with yourself there, Kelly? Sure. This is it. We're all coming from a very similar standpoint. Um, and what Carolee said, I would highly recommend keeping a diary of your accomplishments. Like, and one of the other questions is, what would you tell your 20-year-old self? And I said, I would have started earlier writing everything down. Um, and I, I have always come at it from a standpoint of just, I wanted to be the best scientist that I could be. And it was never from a a female standpoint, I just wanted to be really good. And so I would tell, and I have two um, young ladies in my lab, um, and I would tell them to get involved, take advantage of every opportunity that you can, read literature, become an expert in your field, um, and talk to your manager very openly and honestly about a pathway. It should be laid out for you, and if it isn't, you ask them to do that with you so that you have very clear steps that you need to take. Do you need to take another class? Do you need to um, write a paper and speak in public at a conference? Um, so that when you're starting and you're 22, you know by the time, and not, there's any timeline on anything, but if you want to succeed and you want to stay at that company um, and move up in your career, it is all laid out in front of you and it's just a matter of time and you taking the energy to um, take all those opportunities and learning a bit on your own. Um, your career is in your own hands. Um, your manager has a bit to play in that, um, but it is on you to take all of those opportunities that come your way. Thank you, and Kiralee, I, I feel like you could have, a, um, you were talking to me about your progression at Lion. And, and your mentor there. Mm. I was actually going to say that um, finding a mentor, I think, is really key. So um, when I was at Lion, you know, my 20-year-old self had no idea what I was going to do. I was in London drinking lots of beer, <laughs> having a great time, spent eight years there. So I did lots of research before I, you know, decided beer was for me. Um, but I, I kind of fell into this job at Lion. I always loved beer. I had brothers as well. So... <laughs> kind of normal <laughs> um, and um, yeah I it, I had this light bulb moment I'd worked really closely on a project with um, someone Bill Taylor some of you may or may not know um, Bill but he's a bit of a legend in the beer world he worked in beer for 50 years and it's just he was one of the first storytellers he was one of the first people out there with Chuck Han you know trying to educate people around I guess the um, the positive side of beer that you know the great history of beer and I sat almost shoulder to shoulder with him for about nine months on this project and I suddenly had this light bulb and went, oh my God, this is, this is what I'm meant to do. <laughs> it's beer. <laughs> I was like, how exciting is that? And um, so after this project finished, I approached Bill and said, I want to go and study this. I want to be a you know, brewer. I want to go and do the malting and brewing course at Ballarat. I'd done all my research and <laughs> he just said to me, that's not what you want to do. <laughs> I was like, okay. He goes, let's start with, and this is the, the I guess, mapping out the, the program. So um, he put me on a development program. So I was still doing my role. Um, so this was all outside of my role um, where I did the short course at Ballarat um, University, but he also put me through all the sensory training. He just mapped out a whole path for me to get me to the point that he thought I wanted to be. He said, you don't want to, you know, go and do chemistry. I don't think that's what this is all about. It's you wanting to basically educate people and talk to people about beer. And he was so fundamental to my career path. Um, and also it demonstrated to the rest of the company how passionate I was about beer because no one else had... And Bill said to me, you are the first person in my whole career to actually approach me and ask me to teach them about beer. So be bold, you know, if you really want something and you feel like this is kind of your guiding light, go for it, ask for it. They, they can only say no to you. So, yeah, be courageous, I think. 
I was going to say, I think it's a really good point to seek out your manager and, and do make sure you're having regular check-ins and ideally, you know, yearly reviews as well. For one thing, it sets up making having a conversation about pay rises a whole bunch easier if you've actually recorded this stuff, spoken about it, addressed any issues. And if you have a really good performance review, it's so much easier to say, cool, let's talk pay. Um, but as well, from a career point of view, um, you know, sometimes I think women aren't as you know, perhaps we're a little bit more reluctant to sort of speak up and, and be self-promoters. And, that, I mean, that's a universal thing for, for, you know, Australians are always a bit, you know, anti-tall poppy, I guess. But, you know, if you've got to look after your own career because no one else is going to do it. So make sure you're getting these check-ins with your manager and also, you know, demonstrates to them as well that you're serious. Yeah, I guess in terms of uh, advice to younger females coming into the industry, I, I would agree with the panel that the, the advice is actually universal, whether they're a female or, or a male, is about um, building their business acumen and setting that level of professionalism um, and being authentic to themselves. And I guess beyond that, I think it's very much about individuals building their personal brand and doing that, as we've talked about, through mentors or finding those advocates in your business that can help you or within the industry. Um, every industry has good men, it has bad men, every industry has good women and it has bad women. So it's about finding the right mix that suits you and that can help your career. Um, I know in my career, I've found some really fantastic um, male mentors who you've been able to, you know, follow, have been great advocates for me. It's almost like you can kind of position yourself in their slipstream, if you like, and kind of follow them through a career. So, I think it's really important um, to sort of not, not treat it as the enemy or men as the enemy when things aren't quite going your way. Um, I talked to my team, one of my team members is here today, but I, I talked to my team members about um, when we go into meetings and say it's perhaps a whole room of, of dealers and, and they're all generally men. That I think out of 180 dealers, there's only three female dealer principals. And we go into those meetings and I say to them before we go in, we're not going to war. <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't black and white. We're not going to war, but what we will be is bulletproof. And I think that's a really important thing to, you know, to know your stuff and be the best you can be and bring all your skills and all your talents to the table and be authentically you know, yourself and you will win. And so kind of going in not with that ment mentality that it's them against us, it's more about how can we collaborate and how can we be the best at, at what we do and the knowledge that we can bring to the table. So we have IDPs at my company, um, which is like our interpersonal development goals. And it's really, really nice to have that roadmap inside of my company. Um, I've been with Yakima Chief Hops for four years in August. And... Um, Whenever I got hired, uh, my boss was also like going into his role. So he was the director of North American sales. Um, now he's excelled to global national director of sales. Um, and so I've watched Ryan do that. Um, and as a mentor, I think he helped me with my IDP. Um, so I was seeking out, yeah, like, like this week, um, I went to the hop talk that uh, Little Creatures and Panhead, Panhead did. And like that's my field, and I wanted to see what they were talking about and, and what knowledge they had. I read a lot of things that people write um, because it's important to me to know what are people talking about. Are they talking about our industry correctly? Do they know what they're talking about, or is it something that they're just writing? Um, there can be a lot of things in the industry that people think and perceive, but they actually don't know. Um, so making sure that whenever you do read things, like backing that up with some validation, like maybe going to a website like a Yakima Chief Hops or a Cryer Malt or, or something, um, whoever it is that you like to look at, and um, back up those things that you are seeing in the, in the media and on the Facebook and on the Instagram. Um, I think it's really important to keep yourself abreast of what's real. Uh, but yeah, IDPs, um, always knowing where you're moving so that you have those target goals. Um, whenever I started, I used to work in the restaurant industry and I would bartend and waitress, and I would target who I wanted to work for. And I would go in there, and I would learn who the manager was, and I would usually get the job. And it was really cool. Um, and I met a lot of people along the way. And actually, my mentor is a, is a man. Um, but he helped me get into my position now. And so it's been really good. I mean, it doesn't. a woman would be great to have, too. Um, and I'm sure there's ladies in the industry that I also look up to. Um, but the guy who got me where I am today um, was also just a regular beer rep like me. And we were kind of just chatting about, like, what's next? What can you do? 
and he suggested raw materials. I applied for three jobs and I got one. So um, I think, yeah, I don't know, I'm just blabbering, but. No, no, not at all, not at all. Um, I suppose we touched on it briefly there, but um, so the next thing was really to talk about wages and, you know, when you're approaching, you know, your boss about wages, what, you know, what do you do? So, you know, for you ladies, um, have you approached your boss before and, and, and how did you do it? And then what was the response? So maybe we'll go back to Kelly again. Um, I, I have talked to my boss about wages, um, but from a kind of a different standpoint, I, uh, when I left Coors to come to New Belgium, I took quite a pay cut and that was my choice. Um, because there were other things at New Belgium um, that made up for that. It was employee ownership. It was being able to go to Belgium on your fifth year anniversary. It was the culture. Uh, it was the collaboration. It was um, much more involved than siloed at Coors. I could have spent the rest of my life at Coors. I probably would have retired from there. Um, but in order to come to New Belgium, my boss could only afford so much, and it basically was like, I really want you to work here, and this is what I can offer you for now. So that was, up, that was up to me and that was completely on me. But what I did throughout the years was everything that we've talked about. Um, by that point in time, I was 40. So I learned some things. So I was keeping really good track of what I had done. How much money had I saved the company? Had I spoken out in public? Had I been invited to go to a conference? So through the years, so it wasn't a direct, hey, I feel like I am owed more money. It was a, um, a gentle reminder of, hey, through my, through my years here, I remember when I took that pay cut to come work for you? And here is my list of all of these years worth of things um, that I, how I have benefited the company. Um, so a little different, but it, it did work. Um, and he did just a couple of years ago um, give me a significant, a, a, it's not even a merit increase, it was a, Yes, you are totally correct. Um, and not that it, it, he wasn't making up for it, because like I said, that was on me. It was completely my choice. But I do feel like he heard me and saw my list of accomplishments. Um, so for me, it was, it was favorable and it was a positive experience. I'll just add a couple of comments there. So I think it's really important to, um, to benchmark. So again, using your network to establish, you know, what your industry pays. Um, again, I'm not sure within, within brewing, but um, certainly using things like Glassdoor and Seek and trying to get those um, benchmark salaries or what are those average salaries. Um, but I think the trick here is to be able to articulate why you as an individual is better than average because that's exactly what Kelly was saying. So be able to document those things to say this is why I'm better than average, this is why I'm seeking this additional wage. Um, the other important thing I think a lot of um, people don't take into account is that it doesn't always have to be monetary. So going to your boss might be for a pay rise, but it also might be for additional benefits. So is there something that they can do for you to put in place an annual um, training and education budget that's allocated to you? So you're getting the benefit of additional education or, you know, is it super top-ups or is it, you know, allowances for travel that can then again help you grow and learn. So I think sometimes just thinking outside the box of in terms of hard dollars can also be a benefit and see you um, incrementally move forward. I think it's important to remember that nobody likes having these conversations. Like it, I find it easier to do in person. So if you can sit down and have a one-on-one -on -one with your boss, fantastic. I find it really awkward over the phone. I've sat in my car and hyped myself up for an hour. Um, before I've done it and I think people who know me think, you know, I'm, I'm pretty confident, I'm pretty comfortable having these conversations but it is awkward, um, nobody likes talking about it but, you know, if you don't advocate for yourself, nobody else is and I think that's the really important thing and, you know, be prepared, you know, have have the reasons why, you know, you think you, think you should be paid more or have more benefits or whatever, um, you know, go in, it's going to be a dialogue, you know, perhaps there are things you need to work about but if you have regular check-ins with your boss, you should be across this. Um, and yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be uncomfortable, but um, it's better than not having the conversation and feeling, you know, upset or grumpy or oh, why aren't I being recognised? You know, you've got to be your own advocate. So understand it's going to be uncomfortable. It's probably going to be uncomfortable for your boss, but you need to go in there and do it anyway. Um, I do agree with that. You're your own advocate. Um, 
it's if you're not asking, if you're not proving, I mean, I think we're all kind of, we're saying the same things. Um, have I asked for money ever? I can't really recall if I've ever asked for it. I have gotten raises every year, but I have my inner, the IDPs. So I guess like if you do want to set up with your boss, I think what, what you said was really nice. Um, creative ideas of different ways to get education um, and, and using your resources. Uh, we do some volunteering like with my company. We have two days that we can volunteer. I think it's really cool. It's like a give back to the community. Um, so I just really understanding your company and looking at what your human resource manager might have to offer you because maybe they're not loud and out there telling you. So maybe you need to dig a little deeper for it. Um, but otherwise, I feel really lucky where I'm at. So, and, and yourself, Kiralee, yours is quite entrepreneurial over the last few years. <laughs> I'm always talking to my boss about um, wages and she's such a bitch. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> she never gives me a pay rise. <laughs> um, but yeah, mine's obviously completely different because I'm out there selling myself to clients um, as opposed to having a boss, which is me, <laughs> to pay my own wages. Um, but, you know, I still have to do everything that um, you've all talked about in terms of just um, selling your value and the value to your, your client as well. So obviously drawing on the amount of experience um, that I've had in the industry, what I'm bringing to the party and what the, um, I guess, uh, meeting their objectives and what the advantages are going to be to their business because it's ultimately down to how am I going to impact their their business at the end of the day. So it's a kind of different um, situation. But, um, you know, it's, it is really hard to put a value on yourself. And as Nicolette says, it's probably the worst thing <laughs> to, to have to do. And it's the thing I hate doing the most as well. I kind of, you know, shoot off my proposal and go, okay, <laughs> Was it too high, too low, whatever? But, you know, you've got to, you've, I think you've got to aim high and have that faith in yourself that what you're doing is going to bring value to whoever you're working with. Thank you, yes. And um, I suppose before we get on to um, opening up to uh, you guys, um, I suppose uh, we did touch on it before, but what would you say to yourself um, when you, you know, when you're starting out? So whether that be, you know... Whenever we did start out, um, I suppose, working, you know, what would you say to that person? Um, I think the biggest thing is not to get discouraged. There's always, like, being in sales, there's going to be a million no's. I used to sell artwork. This was the most awful job. Right out of college, um, I was selling pieces of artwork that were framed in glass. They were just prints. They were, like, Monet's and Van Gogh's. Put them in my car every day. Drove cold-called businesses. Um, and would carry these things in, and, you know, they'd see you, you're a solicitor, is what we call it in America, and they're like, get out. And I'm like, but look at the art, you know, and I was like, <laughs> and they're like, get out. But then, like, I went to a school and sold them, like, 200 pieces in one day and made, like, you know, five bucks a piece or whatever it was back then. So I think not getting discouraged is the biggest thing, always being like, there's going to be a million no's, but then that one yes is going to be the one that's going to, like, really change your life. Um, so I would put yourself out there, apply for jobs even that you don't think you're qualified for. Um, really try to read and direct your resume or your cover letters towards that job. Make sure that you actually have the skills, obviously. But even if you're maybe a little underqualified, don't be scared. Like the job that I have now, a professional brewer should probably be doing it. I'm not a professional brewer. I've picked up a lot of information along the way. But I knew how to build relationships and I knew that like if I was out there talking to people, that I was going to be successful, and and here I am. So I appreciate the opportunity. I think just on that point, um, you can fake it till you make it a little bit. You know, absolutely. Don't think you have to be. And again, this is a female trait. We always feel like we have to be overqualified to do the job. But men, literally, they'll just go in and go, yeah, I can do that, no problems, and, and they do it. Um, so on that point, I totally agree. Um, I'd also say... You know, don't be too rigid in your kind of pathway to where you want to get to because things come along and change and you might have little detours here and then and that's not a bad thing because you can always learn from those experiences. So, um, you know, be, I guess, be focused but also allow, be open to, to other opportunities. I mean, I never thought that I'd be doing this but, you know, it kind of just presented itself and I went, yeah, I'm going to take it but, it, you know, it hasn't been a straight path either. There's been a lot of you know, curves along the way. And yourself there, Kelly? 
Um, I, yeah, I would say, and I said this, uh, start early recording what you have done and your accomplishments and take advantage of every single opportunity that comes your way, even if you're scared shitless to do it. Um, because the most growth I think comes, at least in my career has come when I've been really scared of something. Um, so don't let your fear get in your own way. Um, and just say yes to as many things as that you possibly can. Thank you. I think a collective yes is is <laughs> very yeah. And yourself, Nicola. Um, I guess just back yourself. Um, you know, believe in yourself. Um, you know, don't don't be afraid to kind of call out behaviour that you don't agree with, whether it's you know, people talking over you in meetings or people talking down to you or you know. If you've all had a few too many beers and having people hit on you, just be like, that's not appropriate. Please don't do that. And, and Jane? Oh, so much advice for my 20-year-old self. So much. <laughs> I don't even know where to start. Um, I, the couple of things I was thinking about, uh, I agree, taking risks is really important. Um, certainly encouraging myself to take more risks. Um, and I think just that kind of building that confidence early and continuing to, to build that... Um, and also a reminder to yourselves to make sure that you're having fun along the way. <laughs> like this, uh, this life we live, it's uh, certainly not a dress rehearsal. So really making sure that you're happy in what you're doing and that you are in fact striving for, you know, the things that, that you want and that you'll find your purpose in and feel most fulfilled in. And I think... Uh, Yes, I think making the big decisions and being direct in with what you want, um, that advice to, to a, a younger Jane would definitely go down well. <laughs> Only because I was horrible at this. Um, learn how to take constructive criticism well. Um, because you were going to get it. And um, I needed to learn that this was not a pointed dig at me. It was my boss actually trying to help me. Um, so when I was younger, I was super sensitive and emotional and I think I applied for a job that I really, really, really wanted, and I didn't get it. And he flat out, he was like, you don't have the breadth or the depth for this. And, of course, you know, I was like, I had a good shot at this, but I did not have a good shot at it. Um, so it is actually being able to um, listen to that negative, um, the negative things that somebody has to say, but take it for what it is. It's advice on how to move forward. And try not to cry. <laughs> Go back to your car and cry. <laughs> I'm sure we've all had a cry before. <laughs> yeah, we didn't get on to if the boss has made you cry, did we? We didn't get on that. <laughs> um, all right, well, uh, Tiffany's going to take the microphone around now. Um, so if anyone has a question for the panel, please, please just raise your hand. I'm Tim from Wild Poly Brewing in Canberra. Um, thanks for not kicking me out. Um, <laughs> but... You're all welcome. Yeah, no, I, I think it's great. Um, and I think what you guys have been talking about is not just a lot of being based at women. I mean, there's so much of that, um, like going out and just saying yes and things like that replies to the whole industry, I'm sure. Um, my, my question is, there's obviously there's a perception out there that women drink beer differently or they need different styles and things like that. And, and I think this is probably the best audience to ask that. Is that true? And how do we go about changing that perception if that's not true? I've watched years of this. I might, I might just start. Um, yeah, so I was with Lion for seven years and um, this was 20 years ago. They were trying to create, you know, a beer for females and every single one. I don't think there's one that succeeded. Does anyone know? a beer that, you know, has been marketed specifically to, to women. Um, I think it's all bullshit. <laughs> um, I think the the bigger issue is just this still, this, this very masculine perception. Um, I don't think women need particular beers, particular stuff. We all have different tastes like men do as well, even though we're better tasters. <laughs> Sorry, that's science. That's science. Um, <laughs> um, so... To me, I, I actually think the industry as a whole has to be really conscious how they're communicating. And, um, you know, you can just go down on any Facebook scroll and look at how some of the breweries talk and you just think there's, uh, there's a reason why women wouldn't want to drink beer 
because, you know, even the way they approach the language that they use when they're talking about beer, you know, you see a lot of reference to guys and blokes and, you know, I've seen marketing documents that talk about blokes' beer and it's like, you know, until that changes, then I don't think, you know, we're going to encourage more women but we certainly, it's not the beer <laughs> that's the problem, it's all the, the talk around it, I think. I was at a panel earlier in the week um, and a very smart person was up talking to the um, crowd and saying that, you know, if you're excluding women from your marketing, that's a big um, part of the population. And, you know, we are, as, you know, as I work for a, an independent brewery um, and, you know, that's such a tiny slice of the pie in Australia. So it doesn't make sense to exclude um, women, um, you know, just because you want to target your marketing towards men. Um, and I... I <laughs> Has anyone here, any of the women here, not been asked at a beer festival, do you actually drink beer? <laughs> yes. Who's never been asked that question? <laughs> no one. So, yeah. yeah. My, my favourite, do you like, do you like beer? Do, yeah. do you like it? Do you actually do you, like it? Do you really like yes, it? Yes, I do, actually, yes. Yeah. Um, and, what, and I think it's bullshit, too, because um, clearly we all like beer and we all have different tastes. But what I think happened, at least in the States, um, was that... Uh, breweries trying to capture the female population went the other way. Like, so they got away from bloke marketing, and they there's this brewery, and multiple breweries did this. Um, their six-pack carriers were pink and black and looked like a purse. So that was their effort to attract female marketing. Oh, oh, my gosh. And I was appalled. I'm like... Any any woman that enjoys beer was probably not going to pick that up because it looked like a purse. So, yeah. I was going to say, it's exactly the same issues within the automotive industry. It's about finding the balance and making sure that it's not that car is for men and that car is for women. It, it's, it's really difficult. I would say the auto industry has probably come uh, a fair way along versus beer, um, but it's still got a road to go. Um, I recently did some work around um, a light commercial truck and when you take it to testing, we had a scenario that had a family in it. So it had a, a wife and a son that was playing in the lounge room as part of the concept. And then we had a scenario that it was um, the, the, the driver or the dad and just the son. And all of the men found having the female within the environment they rejected that as a as a concept, so it's quite. They found it soft because it was family orientated. But I guess when you're trying to demonstrate the credibility of a car being tough, they needed to see it in an environment that was not, you know, in the living room and the car in the driveway. It needed to be in the, you know, the outback in the bush, and they're happy to be on that adventure with their son or daughter or whatever that may be. But it was really interesting to see how men and women both reacted to the same ad because we then tested the same ad with females and they actually, surprisingly, had the same reaction. So they weren't seeing that vehicle as tough, which was its kind of key selling point, because it was in that environment of the family home and, and, the, and the driveway and they too selected the alternate ad in which they weren't um, involved. So it's a really fine line and we shouldn't always try to guess the answers. That's why research is really, really important. Um, but certainly finding the balance to make sure that you're taking both customer groups along rather than alienating one. And there's another question. Hi, ladies. Really nice talk. Sorry, I came in a little bit late. Um, there are two points that you've identified um, on uh, issues that are considered by the industry and a lot of the marketing within the industry as barriers for women. One of them is packaging size. So I think in an attempt to try and get, you know, a package that is suitable to women, they went to the extreme of making it look like a purse. But it, that is actually a barrier to women in regards to purchasing. And, and that's one thing I think as a collective, maybe we need to consider ways in which um, some of the research that supports how women shop beer um, can sort of be a, be a beneficial experience. And also the other barrier to the point you were talking about, um, that we all drink beer. One thing that I keep 
really trying to butt my head against and dispute is that um, women, the, one of the key barriers for women drinking beer is bloating and carbonation. And I think as, again, as a collective, we need to sort of like, you're doing a brilliant job, Kiralee, about looking at different occasions, different servings, different, um, you know, mediums and stuff like that to doing it. And so I just sort of think, have you got a view on those two barriers of the way in which women shop beer and the way in which, you know, we're trying to dispel that bloating sort of, um, so, you know, research? $64,000 question. Um, yeah, look, I, I think um, in terms of packaging, you know, I really do think that um, where you see those breweries that have gone out with um, a packaging that has that, same level of appeal to females to, and males. Um, you know, you can see people. You know, women will pick that up off the shelf. There's still a lot of very, very um, confronting, quite you know, um, crazy packaging out there. That I guess when you're thinking about the context of what does your beer look like on a shelf, and is it going to actually attract someone to uh, to pick it up? I think that's something that maybe gets a little lost sometimes so people you know breweries might come up with a great design without actually thinking about okay <laughs> I really love the love the look of my can or my bottle but actually is it going to attract anyone to to pick it up off the shelf pack size I'm not sure I know they've tried you know slimline <laughs> cans and smaller bottle sizes and again is that something that we're kind of creating to tailor to a market that's female and then suddenly is it a female beer? I think you've got to be really careful about that. Look, I've, I've always said I love Moo Brews um, bottle packaging. You know, that beautiful piccolo shape I just thought was, you know, absolutely. If everyone could put beer into a bottle like that, then, you know, that completely changes the perception of, um, of beer for, for a lot of people. But that's a really tough one. The bloating one, again, <laughs> I just think every time we're talking about beer, it's fattening, it's bloating. They're the two barriers that people, um, and particularly women, so women will say, I don't drink beer, and or <laughs> they'll say, um, unless it's a really hot day, I might have one. I don't know if you've all heard that before. <laughs> I'm like, you do drink beer. You do. <laughs> You, you you love beer, you just don't know it yet. But, yeah, I just think it's a case that, you know, obviously pouring beer into a glass reduces a lot of that bloating. Um, maybe everything has to go into 750ml bottles because then people won't chuck it down their necks and get that bloating effect and it's more like wine. But, look, yeah, I don't, I don't know the answer. I don't know if anyone's got insight from... Yeah, so coming from the States, um, I really love how I go to your bars and I can get a pot, a pint, a, a, the other one, a, a schooner. <laughs> like, I'm like, wow, so many choices. Because in the, in the U.S., we have either like little tasters, like five ounces. Um, sometimes they do have pints and then they do pints. Um, but yeah, pouring it in a glass, that's going to dissipate some of the, the foaminess or the foaminess, the effervescence, the CO2. Um, not totally over drinking. I love IPA. I drink IPA every day. It's my favorite beer. Um, I don't feel bloated, but maybe I just have a different mindset of the way the beer works in my body. Um, and it doesn't bother me, I guess. But um, yeah, I think you guys have it right. I mean, having these little selections and, and giving people choice, and I think everyone wants a choice. Um, it's really nice to be able to get all the different sizes. Um, and then packaging, um, People, just people in general, they want something pretty. Um, I know whenever I was shop for wine, I don't do it much anymore, but um, I always would look at the labels, like what stood out to me? And I think that's just something that people need to, whenever they're doing their marketing, um, you know, there's that giant shelf in front of you with a ton of beer on there. How are you saying what your beer is, maybe saying what your ABV is and saying what your brand and what your, your vision is for your brand, like very quickly amongst everything else. Um, I think you guys have a lot of great marketing behind a lot of your beers here, so. But I think it's, yeah, just being, being out there, doing what you want to do, making it your brand. And I think we'll go to the final question. Um, kind of going on from the packaging question before, I'm noticing a trend nowadays of a lot of craft breweries um, creating like special limited 
batches uh, that are usually very high in alcohol percentage, but they're releasing them in these massive 440 mil and 500 mil cans. And it's kind of like, do you think that that's like, do you think, do you consider that a very blokey thing or do you think that's a trend that's going to be around for a little while or do you think it's a good idea or is it usually something maybe that these higher alcohol percentage beers should not necessarily be marketed in these these gigantic servings, these gigantic cans. Do you think that it kind of drives some people away from trying these beers because they're presented this way? It's it's funny. Um, back when I used to work for Big Beer and actually have uh, access to Insights, which was fantastic and I miss it. Um, and I, th- I think there's a bit of a trend for larger formats uh, in the States. Is that correct? And in... In some in some regards, like, it has caught on here, but in a lot of ways it hasn't. Like, I think Australians look to the States and say, oh, big formats, big formats, and then you bring out big formats and people just like, you know what, I don't want to drop $50 on that 750ml bottle. Um, I think price is a huge turn-off. Yeah. Definitely. Um, but in regards to the, the larger cans, I don't really see that as gendered. Like, I'll buy a 440ml can of... I'll buy a 500ml can of a 9% beer. Um... I guess, you know, is it responsible is a whole other question that I'm not going to answer. I think on that, um, you know, cans obviously great for beer. um, But what what still needs to go around all of this is education. So how do you drink that? You know, you can actually sit down with a friend and share a can. You pour it into a beautiful glass and suddenly it's not, you know, slamming back 500 mils of an 8% IPA. So I think, um, you know... Again, as an industry, we have a responsibility every time we are communicating with um, customers, consumers, to just educate them on those occasions and, you know, how to, I guess, best enjoy your beer without it's, – it's very much been about volume consumption in Australia. You know, I love the share ritual. I'll, I'll share, you know, any bottle, even the three thirty mils. Like, I'd, I'd rather have, you know, four of those and share with someone – Um, than sit there and drink, you know, even two by myself. I just love – and I think we've lost that kind of sharing ritual that wine has and and probably owns um, a lot more than than beer does, whereas beer used to be on the tables. It used to be something that, you know, people would get their long neck of of beer and pour it into a glass and that was a a ritual. But we have lost that to wine and I think we need to bring that back into how we talk about beer as well. Um, well, ladies, uh, we have to call it there, I'm afraid. But um, I think it goes without saying, we're so, so grateful that you're all here today. Um, and, yeah, thanks for all the insights. Thank you very much. Thanks, mate. Don't forget, if you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You can find details in the show notes. You can review our podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcasting service. Let us know what you think and help others discover the show. Finally, you can tell us directly what you think by sending an email to producer at brewsnews.com.au. All letters received will receive a Brews News bottle opener and thanks to our good friends at Beer Cartel, the letter of the week will receive a mixed six-pack of Australian craft beer. When Brews News cast and crew are buying online, we buy at Beer Cartel. We love hearing your thoughts on the stories we cover because beer is a conversation. <laughs>